So this week we're watching Tag. Oh, that comedy with Ed Helms and the famous app developer Jeremy Renner. No, not that one. The 80s comedy thriller with Linda Hamilton? No, not that one. The one where McLovin has AIDS? No, not what? I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Uh, let's rock indeed. Welcome to 1000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that is a celebration of weird film. I'm Brad Hefner, and with me, as always, is... Billy Martell. And this week, we are finally getting around to one of my favorite directors, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Sion Sono, from Japan, USA. From Japan, USA. I, everywhere's part of the USA. Everywhere's part of the USA. That's part of God's plan. <laughs> This is God's country. I heard, I heard that on country. the radio somewhere. Yeah, only parts of it, though. I think that Sion Sono is now... I've only seen this movie. And, and 15 minutes of Why Don't You Play in Hell. And 15 minutes of Why Don't You Play in Hell back when we were going to cover that for one week. Um, uh, I think he might be one of my favorite directors now, too. Well, I, afterwards, we're going to watch Suicide Club, so you'll have a little bit more I'll uh, have a, yeah, meat I, for that grinder. I, I'd heard about that one before this, and before uh, Why Don't You Play in Hell. I, uh, I mean, we're, we're going to get into it. I, man, this movie. Yeah, and Simon Sono, I've heard him called uh, Japan's David Lynch, which is not true at all. No. It's I'm, just that well, he makes weird film. Yes. And people don't have a lot of other touchstones for weird film. He makes weird film, and I don't know, obviously this is the only movie that I've seen from him, and you have told me that uh, if if I were to show you a blind movie, Mm -hmm. uh, just a a blind film, and it was a Sion Sono film that you hadn't seen before... You would be hard pressed to name it as a Sion Sono film as opposed to the rest of his films. Most likely. Uh, he, He does. But going off of this film alone, I will say that the film within its it the runtime of itself names itself as being connected to the surrealist movement. Yes. I would uh, I would give it that. I would also add in uh, that it, it seemed a little bit m- more closer to what the definition of absurdism would be for me. Yes. But uh, either one, b- both are s- definitely stuff that, that David Lynch has played with in the past. Yes. And there were elements of this movie that felt Lynchian. Sure. Uh, I would argue that there were far more elements of the film that felt like uh, Harold Pinter or Hausu for, yeah, for sure. me personally than that. But, uh, yeah, I guess we should probably talk, tell them what the hell we're talking about. Uh, the film is Tag, a 2015 yeah. movie directed by Sion Sono, as I mentioned. Yes. And usually we like to give a summary of the film so you can decide if it sounds like you're a bag of tricks right. before going in so you can go and watch it. And as we, we, we kind of alluded to in the opening, this is a continuation of our No Not That One month. Yes. Our theme month for this month in which we're tricking you into clicking into our video, our podcast. Uh, and so, no, if you really wanted us to talk about that time Hannibal Burris said that time is a construct, you'll have to listen to our other podcast, the Hannibal Burris Burris. Movie Podcast. The Hannibal Burris Time is a Construct Podcast. Yeah, where we just talk about that one line for hours. And also, uh, tear down Hannibal Burris for being a landlord. (laughs) Is he really? Yes. Oh, that really makes me sad, because I really like his comedy. Yeah, well. Oh, damn it. 
Damn and it. he's sort of a dick about it too, from what I understand. Well, of course he's a landlord. You have True. to be. Yeah, you have to be. It's like being a cop. You have to be a dick about it. Absolutely. It's part of the job. But our our goal is to summarize the movie without spoiling it, and that is very hard with tag. I am I I think I wrote a note at some point in my notes where I was like, say Brad, what's the plot description and then just stare at him until <laughs> to see what the fuck he comes yeah, up with. It's <laughs> this, this movie, is describing the plot of this movie is like describing the plot of a racer head. He's like sort it's of so difficult. I can I can succinctly sum up a racer head mm-hmm. without spoiling too much. You Tag. Can? Yeah. Okay. Uh it's uh Cerulus. Guy has a bad hair day. Craziness ensues. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, a surrealist nightmare where a man mm-hmm. has a child that is born severely premature mm-hmm. and things go from there. Right. Okay. With Tag, the mo- it's sort of an action horror film with sci-fi elements. elements mm-hmm. Japanese, obviously, so mm-hmm. it's subtitled. I guess I would say it's about a woman who is constantly being attacked. Yes. And trying to escape from those scenarios. Yes. She's she's finding herself in a, a constant state of uh, distress and violence. Yes. Emphasis on violence. There's some gore. There's a lot of bloodshed. Yes. I did want to write... Well, actually, I guess we'll wait until we get to the plot's problem with that. So cut, sure. cut me starting to say that out, whoever's editing this. But the other thing we like to do, so you can... Figure out if you want to watch this movie is give our recommendation. Yes. Billy, would you recommend Tag by Sion Sono? I would recommend this movie harder than I would recommend almost like anything. Like I <laughs> I I think I enjoyed this movie the most of any movie we've watched for the show since really? uh since uh what the hell is the name of the movie? The the Day of the Beast. Like, oh, okay. I I, I which isn't all that long ago, but... is isn't all that long ago, but I was like, I... I uh, when I first finished watching the movie, I, I, I finished, first finished watching the movie, I was like, man, I think this might be, like, my favorite movie we've ever done yeah. for the show. And then just today, I was like, you really liked Day of the Beast. <laughs> I was like, okay, brain, you got me there. So <laughs> I amended what the statement I was going to say to, to, to that. But, uh, yeah, no, I... Comparing this to uh, absurdism, it feels more absurdist than surrealist for me. But at the same time, it the fact that there is a explanation, even though it's just kind of a nominal explanation yeah. at the end of the film for why weird stuff is happening, it's it's a very sort of like we'll just have this kind yeah. of explanation. It's more for theme than it is for logical sense. But that does kind of take it out of the realm of absurdism and push it more towards surrealism. But at the same time, regardless, it's it. I I wrote down if if uh, Pinter's the Wasteland and Hausu had an Eraserhead baby. <laughs> this this is the movie it is where it's it's sort of like hey, surrealism and absurdism are awesome, and I Billy Martell completely agree. I love both of those things. But you know what would be what 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 would be fun. Is if instead of just a bunch of old white people sitting around talking mm-hmm. uh, for a long period of time, instead, every once in a while, someone got eviscerated, yeah, violently in front of you, and and there were like incredible horror slash action slash sci fi 
sequences that were just tremendously great, but they didn't at all distract from the the artistic meat of the film no, at all. This is a... I love this movie so goddamn much. <laughs> this it I also recommend this movie. Yes. I love Sion Sono. This is a I think his masterpiece and I've not seen it in a very long, long time is Noriko's Dinner Table. And then probably Why Don't You Play in Hell? And right. then this. Mm-hmm. Are probably my uh, top ones. I Suicide I just love the man. Like it I it's hard to even rank them, but I, I looked them up because I wanted to find out. And much like Confessions of a Trick Baby, I'm sorry, you're legally required to say the whole title. Uh, Freeway, Freeway Two, two Confessions, Confessions of a, a Trick, Trick Baby. Baby. I'm sorry, take me away, uh, art police. But, Judge John Landis, get in here. <laughs> damn it! Uh, but uh, just oh no, he's coming in a helicopter. <laughs> oh no! Just like with that movie, I could find almost no behind-the-scenes information about this film. Yeah, it's difficult. Uh, that's another... But, the language barrier, I'm sure there's much more written in Jap- Japanese about it. Maybe. Um, but I did find a lot of stuff about Cian Sono and just, like, his whole vibe. And people call him, like, uh, like the rascal of the Japanese cinema scene. Like, a lot of, like sort of diminutive sort of like patting on the head kind of oh, terms that they make bullshit. for him and I'm watching and I again this is the only movie from him I've seen yeah. if this is any indication of the kind of work he does fuck you don't you guys don't know what you have well let me prepare you because like I said they're all so different yeah you're not going to find another one that's just like tag that's fine. Suicide I don't, Club. I don't want another one that's just like Tag. Suicide Club sort of horror and surrealism is probably going to get you close. He said in one of the interviews I said that I watched where he said Suicide Squad felt to him like... Club. What did I say? Squad. <laughs> that makes sense. Suicide Club. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, suicide Club to him felt like... I'm trying to make my mark on the film world, and the easiest way I can do that is by offending people. Yeah, it's uh, there's some shocking stuff. But that, like his later movies, he had sort of more delved into like what can I say? Yeah, as opposed to just like let's fuck with people's ideas of of good taste. If you want to see Sion Sono, you keep saying it Sion. Is that how they say it in interviews? I'm making it up because I don't okay. know how to say it. I'm going to say Sion. You okay. can say Sion. Um, All right. But if you want, like, what I feel is probably his big message movie, mm-hmm. check out Anti-Porno, mm-hmm. which I don't th- think I know enough about Japanese culture and society to fully <clears throat> understand. I just know it's wild as shit. Mm-hmm. That's probably his most artsy-fartsy movie. Great. I love it. Uh, but, yeah, I absolutely recommend Tag. Mm-hmm. He also said about uh, some critics who don't like him, he said they're they're not film critics, they are old people who drink together. <laughs> and art should confuse old people. If art isn't confusing old people, there's no point. That's brilliant. And I'm That's like, holy fucking, fucking shit. Brilliant. You're my favorite. <laughs> You're my favorite forever. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's just get it. Okay, right off the bat, I want to give a bit of a... Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Uh, if you are someone who struggles with uh, suicidal thoughts, like a lot of absurdist slash surrealist works, like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, mm-hmm. this has some very fatalistic and dark themes and does involve uh, discussions of taking one's own life. Yes. And so I just want to add that as as like a, a, a trigger. We're going to have fun this episode, but I want to put that yeah. right at the top. 
this is, this is that's a trigger warning if this is something that you struggle with this might be a difficult episode for there's you. also a lot of other dark shit in there yeah um but this is based on a novel mm-hmm. called Riaru Onigoko. I'm going to make the biggest air quotes in the world about based on. Yeah. Uh, did you do any research on what this novel is? I did is? not have a lot of time. So I, I did a little, I looked into it a little bit. Plot of the book has nothing to do with this movie. Really? At all. There are, t- uh, we are in the spoiler section now, yeah. so this is your last warning to, to click off. Uh, but the the two things that are contained in this movie that are contained in the book Alternate realities. Gotcha. And being chased. Gotcha. The book is about a guy who, from our world, who falls through into another dimension and lands in a world where Japan still has an emperor. And the emperor has decided he's tired of other people having his own surname. Mm-hmm. So he make And he has a very common surname in Japan, apparently. And he makes a law that everyone with his surname other than himself, uh, are now sentenced to death, and he's going to send out an army of yokai to kill them in this massive sort of uh, running man-style game. That sounds interesting. And it was made into another movie in 2008 that was much more closely... Yokai Chase. Sure. It was much closer to the book, and the book's title does translate to something like Tag. Gotcha. But um, other than the title... The idea of alternate realities and the idea of being chased by monsters, nothing. I, it's almost a joke to put yeah. at the end in the credits that this was based on a book at all. <laughs> Which, honestly, again, n- knowing what little I know about Scion. I'm saying Scion. That's how I've always Scion said Sono. Knowing what little I now know about Scion Sono makes sense. Yeah. Because, <laughs> again, this movie is so of itself that I was like... The minute I saw that it was based on a book, I was like, I need to know everything about that book right now because there's no way, there's no way that this is exactly the same in book form. What has changed? Hold on. Shion Sono. Sion Sono? Shion. Shion Sono. Sono. Oh my god. Let me just check one more source. Mm-hmm. Zion Sono. Zion Sono. Zion Sono. Well, that's confusing and <laughs> horrifically unhelpful. Uh, oh man, me... that didn't help us at all. No. Shion <laughs> Sono. Um... Okay, that one's saying Shion too. Shion Sono. So let's go with Shion Sono. Shion Sono. Sorry for the fifteen minutes where we said the man's name incorrectly. <laughs> This is another one of my favorite film openings. It's up there with Machine Girl. Oh my god. Uh, it's so fucking amazing. I completely agree. And I, you didn't prepare me for it at all. So I no, got to experience no. it in real time, which although, was great. Although immediately after I saw this, I posted this scene on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Clearly you didn't watch it. Clearly I didn't watch it. So but it turns all the out, better for you. Turns out bad friend. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I literally never watch anything you send me. <laughs> Okay, so I'm just like acting out some sort of petty revenge. Sure. We'll, we'll say that. We'll say that. We see two buses filled with high school girls driving a tree-lined road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're all girls. They're going on a school trip, having fun, tossing around a pillow. Feathers are everywhere. There's going to be a lot of feathers in this movie. A lot of feathers, a lot of pillow imagery. Yeah. And uh, I, I... Setting up my expectations for what this film were at this point... Uh, 
the poster is three women with blood splatter all over yeah. it. And otherwise, it's a very basic color. Brad has been both on the show and off, showing me a lot of he's been showing me a lot of bad girl gang movie, violent movie sort of things too, and talking about a lot of them True. as well. Uh, I I I can I include Confessions of a Trick Baby. Sure, yeah, no, and, okay, yeah, in in that. So so more than two, but when watching the that sort of thing, and then the first thing that poster, and then this movie opens with a bunch of Japanese schoolgirls. We just seen Machine Girl not too long ago, <laughs> and I'm like. Okay, this is the kind of movie I'm in for. Gotcha. And then, continue. <laughs> You're right. There is a lot of pillow imagery. And I wonder if this movie will ultimately have its reasoning in sex. There's a lot of sex in here, yeah. And there's... Uh, well, not a lot of actual sex, but there's a lot of sexual conversation. Yes. But, and I could be misremembering this, but I believe one of the ancient... Not ancient, but sort of feudal Japanese love-making books was known as the Pillow Book, so I wonder if that was some sort of resonance. That is is ringing a bell in my memory, but I don't have enough background in that sort of idea to, to tell you if you're right. I will say, something that kind of impressed me right off the bat, I don't know why, generally in the West, at least, we're used to movies starting with a million titles before yeah. the film begins. Uh, after this movie gave the 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 brief like production logo and Universal Studios as the American distributor, it just cut to a title card and the movie began. There yep. was no like, this is a Xian, uh, sorry, Xi'an? Xi'an. Xi'an. This is a Xi'an Sono production brought to you by Universal. There was none of that shit. It was just right off the bat. Tag, movie starts. Mm-hmm. None of that shit. None of that shit. We're, 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 we're just starting right off the bat. Meanwhile, one quiet girl writes mm-hmm. poems in her journal. Mm-hmm. She drops her pen, and as she picks it up, the bus ahead of her is sliced in half horizontally. Mm-hmm. So we see two dozen torsoless bodies. Yes. Then the same happens to her bus. Amazing, absolutely amazing fucking imagery. Like, you need go on YouTube, search tag opening, and if you have any stomach for gore, watch it. It's fucking brilliant. This is one of the best things that's it's ever happened. It's an immediate punch to the face. Like Literally. Literally. It's just, again, just decapitated everyone in not the even, bus. Not just decapitated. Like, they're... Sliced in half like at the torso. Yeah. And she's... And, there's, and it's not like everyone has geysers of blood coming up. Just mm-hmm. some of them occasionally have, like, a little spurt. Yeah. And again, the reason why I compare it to Haosu, if anyone's ever seen Haosu, this is a legendary Japanese horror movie... Not only is there, like, crazy horror elements, but there's also this, whenever there's not horror, there's this very sort of glossy kind of nostalgic... Very dreamy, very... Dreamy uh, sort of, like... Like a... Almost a 70s sitcom, like, that fakeness to it. There's the Twin Peaks Something Sad is Happening music playing Mm -hmm. in the background of almost every second that's not horror. Yeah. Uh, And that's very much the vibe that you have in this opening scene where all of these girls are just like, oh my god, isn't it great to be young? so much fun. Oh my, we just have pillows all of a sudden. Let's have a pillow fight. Well, they're going on a trip. It makes sense they have pillows. And the girl is like... Writing in her notebook, but she's not just writing; she's writing poetry. She's writing, and this poetry. isn't the first time. They're like, 
Oh, oh you dumb poem, bitch. Keep you're, writing your dumb poems, you're you writing bitch. poems again. They try and take the book from her and they make her drop her pen, but they're like, oh, I'm sorry. They're they're still friends. They are still they're friends. They're still friends. And she goes down. Well, they're she, not anymore because they're all dead. She picks up the pen and the pen has a little feather on it and she stops to enjoy the beauty, the simple beauty. Have you ever felt like a plastic bag? <laughs> <laughs> like just the, the, the beauty of this feather. And while she's doing that, Everyone she knows in her life is chopped in just half. Fucking, she and stands she just up, stands up, and the bus is still like rolling to a stop, rolling to a stop, and the and blood just, from everything just kind of splatters all over and it's her. Just such this um, remarkable image of just this lone girl standing in all this carnage. This movie, if nothing else. This movie has mastered the art of the rug pull. Yeah. Better than most movies that have ever existed. Yeah. Like, this movie keeps you this movie keeps you spinning around. Like it's Yeah. It's, it's like you're on a right an, round, baby. Right round. Exactly. Like a God, I can't think of anything that spins. I can't either. Our our lady, our our main gal here, seems to be being targeted by an especially malicious gust of wind. Right. Which is slicing through everything. They say that it's wind later on. When I first looked at it, I had no idea what it was supposed to be, but I kept thinking of the the monster in the Evil Dead movies that's never identified, but it's just I it's just like the camera. There's some Evil Campbell Dead around. cam work in this movie. Like, Definitely. Some... Especially in this opening scene. Yeah. This is a Kamitachi, a Japanese yokai that rides the, on the wind oh. and slices through things with a sickle. Okay. Of course, it just looks like a gust of wind. So the intended audience for this movie would have a better idea of what this was supposed yeah. to be than than we would have. Yeah. In America, this movie would probably be called Spooky Wind. Our heroine... Or run... The Happening. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Our heroine runs, being pursued by the wind. She comes across some other people who are just... Again, just fucking cut in half. Like, just, it's just... Yeah. It's, it's... She pushes one of them to the ground to save them temporarily, but as soon as that woman's friends get cut in half, she gets up and is like, no! And then she's cut in half as well. Yeah. It's... I wanted her at one point to just be like, why does this keep happening? <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I just want to... This is 2015, and it's, I assume, kind of a cheapy... Japanese movie, like I can't imagine there was a huge budget. The CGI mm -hmm. does not look stupendous. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Like it does its job. It doesn't look awful. I I, I like, like the way the effects. I've look. seen far worse both oh, in American movies and in Japanese movies. Uh, she, but yeah, she runs through the woods. The camera's doing some Evil Dead shit. Mm -hmm. when, as she starts to run through the woods, the season abruptly changes. She's. At first, when they're driving the bus down, it seems to be like a sort of a general summer thing. Yeah. As she's running down the road, it transitions into winter temporarily, mm. and then out of winter again by the time she reaches a little river. I did not notice that. Yeah. I, I, I remember because I looked down to write a note, looked up, and suddenly everything was covered in snow. Looked down to write another note about, suddenly it's winter, what the fuck. Looked up, and the snow was gone. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't hallucinate this? Are you sure you don't it's, have winter madness? I suppose. It's possible. It's possible. We get another amazing image. She comes upon a river filled with dead bodies. Yes. I will say, I throughout most of this movie, because I had no idea what was going to happen from second to second until the end of the film, uh, but I kept having ideas of like what the movie might be. And my first idea was when she runs up to that lady with the two other friends and puts her, both hands on her shoulders and is like, 
Oh, I, you thought it was going to be like, tag, you're it, now the wind's after you. And then she, the main character was going to, up until that point, was going to die. Yeah. And the film was going to follow this person, who was then going to meet another character. She was going to die. That person was going to be chased. Gotcha. And uh, that's not what would happen, but I, I kind of like the idea. It's a cool idea for a film. Yeah. She comes upon a river filled with dead bodies. Uh, she changes out of her blood-soaked uniform mm-hmm. into a different type of school uniform. Mm-hmm. In a daze, uh, she makes her way to the school. Well, she just sort of starts walking back towards society and then, yeah. like, finds herself walking towards the school surrounded by other kids in a similar uniform. It's not so much that she sets out for the school. No. So much as she just kind of, like... Well, I have to go somewhere. And she's just sort of wandering through the forest crying. And then suddenly she's kind of on the road to a school. And there's a whole bunch of other kids around her. Okay, Billy, I want to give you a challenge. Oh, well, first, before that, I just... And I also want to say, throughout the whole bit where she's on the road being chased by the wind monster, the music does not let up. There's No. no, like... Little Hitchcockian like lack of music for tension. It's just like blaring dramatic music. This when movie... she reaches the river and starts cleaning herself up, the music suddenly cuts out and is replaced by very soft, gentle music. The music is very in this movie is very m- centric to the mood of the main character. Yes, it's centered on her emotional state and bringing the audience into that, which I love. Both the music and the intensity of the movie waxes and wanes very expertly you get a lot of intensity and then Mm -hmm. it gets quiet for a bit still interesting still engaging Mm -hmm. and then it'll explode again and then it'll back off a little bit it get it does that less and less as it progresses Mm -hmm. but okay so our our heroine in this movie is going to face a lot of different challenges yes a lot of different challenges so i wanted to pose you some challenges okay so i'm going to give you a scenario okay you're you're on a road trip with your family. Okay, where cool. are you go, where are you going? Where do you uh, go? Oh man, we're going to Disney World. Okay, you're going to Disney World. Yeah, we're driving down to Florida. Okay, so you're on the highway, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, the car is surrounded by motorcycle bears. <laughs> oh I'm my talking, god! I'm talking a diverse group of bears. Okay, I'm talking polar. I'm talking cinnamon. Oh, god. I'm talking black. I'm talking brown. I'm mm-hmm. talking grizzly. I'm talking Kodiak. Oh wow. Hell's Bears, they're called. Hell's Bears. Uh, and they're surrounding your car, and they got claws out. Mm. What's your immediate reaction? So, my, so so we're in my family minivan. Yes. And we're surrounded by motorcycle bears. They get their claws out, and they're looking at us with sort of like a yeah, like no, a, they're, an intention of violence, yeah. right? Okay. My reaction, generally I'm kind of in the... In the in the back seat uh, when, when when I'm taking a trip with my family. I'm usually yeah. in, pretty far in the back. So uh, so I think uh, my reaction would be to start uh, yelling at my dad to, like... Because the, the, the bears, they're bears. They're big, yeah. they're big animals, and they're on motorcycles. Those and the motorcycles only... are tiny. Yeah. I should point that out. They're right. very tiny. Well, even they if... move very fast, but right. it's it's almost comical if they mm. weren't like dressed in their leathers, right? And right, about right. to kill you. So I think that I would yell at my dad, like, "Dad, swerve the car! You got the the bears are top heavy. You gotta knock them over. Yeah, you gotta knock them over so we can survive and get to Disney World. Okay, because I want to uh, go on the haunted mansion ride. Okay, yeah. Uh, so your dad hears your plea, right? And he turns around and says, "What?" 
and then a bear just wipes his head off. Oh my god! Now the car is out of control because your dumb headless dad <laughs> is as pedal down. Oh he god! He does. He takes out the polar bear who's in front. Like that goes, oh, okay, he goes flying. Okay. Although that actually uh, stops the car and does severe damage because right. it's, you don't just hit Giant. a bear. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Just keep rolling. Especially not a top top heavy bear. It's going to crash into the car just Although, like a moose would. You know what? The polar bears are dying. There's a lot of emaciated polar bears. This is one mm. of those. This is one of those frail, sickly ones. You oh just, no! You just crush that dumb bitch. Oh man! That it's stupid, like endangered fucker. It's just like a big old bag of bones just yep. shattered on the on the highway. Yep. Call Stephen King because it's a bag of bones. <laughs> So, so now the, uh, but the car is eventually is just, now the car is just zooming down the highway. Oh God. What do you do? What do you do? What do I do? Okay. Again, I'm in the back seat and there's, there's like siblings in front of me and, and my mom in the front. So I need to get, I need to somehow get control of the vehicle. So I think, uh, I think I, I have to start climbing over my siblings because okay. yelling at people didn't work the first time and I can't risk It rarely them. does. I can't risk them uh, fucking up the plan. So I got to start climbing over them bodily to get to the front of the car. How and, many and rows of siblings shit. are you going over? 16? Sounds like, it sounds like you're, this is a, quite a production. <laughs> There's at least uh, one row of siblings between me and, and the front of the car. Why are you so far in back? You're the eldest. Uh, I just all just for whatever reason I always sat in the bat in the very yeah. back when I was a, when I was a kid. So I just kind of kept doing that. As you an always adult. felt close to Rosa Parks, so you were <laughs> yes in solidarity. Yeah, in solidarity with my girl Rosa, I was sitting all the way in the back. So you get up to the front seat, and we're mm-hmm. going to stop it there for now. Okay, remember where we are. I will. Actually, I, I didn't take my Adderall today, so I might not. Okay, well, we'll, we'll just do a different one if we have to. That's fine. One And the school that she goes to is one where everyone is wearing the same school uniform that she mm-hmm. changed into. Well. And people call her Mitsuko. Right. They, they call her Mitsuko, which she seems... She is confused by a lot of things that people are telling him. Like she doesn't even identify this immediately as her school that she goes yeah, to. Yeah, because she was in a different school uniform. This mm-hmm. is by all accounts this is not her school. This is a different school. But there's this girl named Aki. Aki. Aki who comes up to her and identifies her as as her best friend mm-hmm. and that they've been going to the school their entire lives. And Mitsuko I guess just sort of accepts this. There's no other answer. Like there's, right. she has no other answer. And she does see that some of the the other girls that were on the bus are also attending the school. Oh, okay. And they are now alive. I remember because the girl in the seat across the bus from her, who caused her to drop her pen, I enjoyed her performance so much for that couple of seconds. I mean, yeah. special note. Oh no. Girl on the other side of the bus is dead. <laughs> We're never going to see her again. And then she shows up in this crowd scene. Okay. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> we get more of girl across the bus. Without, oh. I said, holy shit, Gus, bus girl is back. That's my uh, favorite thriller novel, Girl Across the Bus. <laughs> girl Across the Bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they got uh, Emily Blunt to be in that one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut up. <laughs> But Two other girls join them, mm-hmm. Tycho and Sir, and a sudden gust of wind blows their skirts up, freaking out Mitsuko. Yes. I want to say something right now. Yeah. As I said, this this film is ultimately going to be rooted in sex. We see a lot of upskirts in this film. Quite a lot. There will be a reason for that. There is a reason. The biggest, con- most consistent, I should say, criticism of... 
Shion Sono. Shion Sono. Most consistent criticism I saw of Shion Sono online when I was doing research is that people can't figure out if he is feminist or sexist. And uh, apparently the answer is a little bit of, from his own mind, is a little bit of both. Where he has said that uh, he is not overly happy with the depict his own depiction of women mm -hmm. in his own work on a number of occasions but it appears that like a lot of works in the back half of his career have been kind of centered on that idea and his and him trying to sort of like wrestle with that concept yeah and depictions of women in media in general and i think that's what a lot of anti-porno is sure i imagine just from the title anti-porno and uh, i i watched some like think pieces on youtube talking about this idea uh and this movie definitely plays with that concept as well yes. going forward without giving too many spoilers in our spoiler section they head towards the school when another gust causes mitsuko to just Break out and run. Yes. And Aki comforts her. Aki, MVP of the movie, gonna say it right now. Uh, absolutely. I will say, the acting in this movie is next level. It's great. Like, especially, it's fantastic. Especially Aki, but like there are a lot of side character girls mm. that exist throughout the movie. Who Big are ups giving, to Sir. Oh my god. Just giving absolutely fantastic performances. Yeah. Uh, Aki, though... There is something absolutely magnetic about the actress who plays Aki. Absolutely. She is so full of personality and so good at at playing uh, her role. She's uh, f absolutely fucking phenomenal. Uh, Yuki Sakurai. Yuki Sakurai? Aki. Well, Yuki Sakurai, uh, if you're speaking English and listening to this episode... I hope she is. I love you. Oh, I would like to marry you. You're amazing. You're fucking amazing. No, Aki is best girl in this movie. Mm-hmm. Inside, two teachers inquire about Mitsuko's well-being before heading off. Mitsuko asks Aki if she's always been at this school. Mitsuko says she has a dream where the wind killed a bunch of girls on a bus. Mm -hmm. She's breaking down, crying, basically recounting the last 15 minutes. Right, very traumatic 15 minutes that she just had. To prove her wrong, Aki throws open the window and puts Mitsuko's arm outside to show her there's no danger. Uh, by the way... Aki tells Mitsuko she loves her a bunch, and there's they even they joke like, about like being lesbians. Like other girls joke about it. So are you in love? And Aki, the, and Aki says yes. Of course, we've been in love for years. <laughs> and it's it is uh, this prompted my favorite letterbox review of this film. Yeah, which was running with your friend is a gay activity. <laughs> 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 but uh, yes, I I and yes, I absolutely fully ship Mitsuko and Aki. Yeah, like 100%. I mean, I think Aki should be with me, personally. <laughs> that's that's where I am with most ships. Like, I'm like... Right, yeah. Mm, no, Why that character they... that character should be dating me. Why can't they be with me? Uh, who should Veronica Mars be with? Logan or Duncan? Me. Team Jacob, Team Edward, Team me. me. <laughs> Write me in there, coach. <laughs> I... <laughs> I weirdly dig that attitude. <laughs> like, there's, there's something very sort of like, I'm going to advocate for myself yeah, in no. this situation. I'm the Why only am one. I not an option here? I'm the only one good enough. <laughs> I, I just, because this made me laugh. I wrote down the note, I have no idea where this movie is going. I feel like I keep being tricked. This movie is the real trick, baby. <laughs> No, you're the trick, baby, for getting tricked. <laughs> ah, there it is. There it is. 
Also, I uh, you start to notice at this point, or at least I started to notice, that the movie is incredibly woman-centric. It is only females. It is only women. Until the very end. Until the very end. But, like... It y- doesn't... You start to notice it right here because there, there are plenty of roles throughout well, the story that would traditionally be male. And in this school, not only is it an all-girls school, the teachers are all women. Yes. Uh, every figure of authority that we see is, is all women. And that... I slowly realized that over the course of the film, Same. and I fucking love it. Oh, I love it. I, I love, love it, it so much. And again, much. there's going to be a reason. Right. There, there, is also, there is also a reason for it, but even if there had been no reason, I would it's, have loved it's it. It's a great it, touch. By itself. Um, I, just, I didn't really notice it until I have kind later, of, uh, after this segment, after the segment we're about to get into. I have kind of come around to a point in my life where I am very tired about stories about people who look like me. Yeah. And I've kind of come to a point where I'm like... Just anybody but me. I just I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> Show me something else. Aki suggests they skip class and take a walk. Mm-hmm. Mitsuko has no clue where their homeroom is, compounding the mystery of Mitsuko being there. Mm-hmm. They stop by homeroom where Aki introduces Mitsuko to some students and yes. says that Mitsuko has been reborn. Yes. They she also jokes that she might have amnesia, which I thought was funny because and this will be a continuous thing every throughout the movie people will joke about Mitsuko having amnesia yeah i'm like if i thought a friend of mine had amnesia i would be very upset but these characters just kind of let that roll off their back okay let's role play let's role play let's say i have amnesia okay what would you do i would be very concerned and i would take you to a hospital okay what's a hospital That's not how amnesia works. How do you know? I'm the one who has it. Or do I? I can't remember. <laughs> a hospital is a place where they're going to look at you and find out what, what's going on, if you have amnesia or not. What's amnesia? <laughs> it's something people have that makes them have to go to hospitals. and you What's might hospitals? It. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're bad at this. Apparently I'm bad. Okay, maybe maybe Aki has the right temperament for for amnesia, and I'm just an asshole. They and two others, Sir and Tycho, mm-hmm. head to the lake near the school to ditch class. This movie moves along at a great clip. Like it it's, really does. I was I'm never bored during it. No. I'm never. Again, here's where I know we're getting a lot of upskirts, but I feel that's I feel the end justifies that choice. I like, do there's think a so. reason. I mean, it is also titillation, but it. I don't know. Upskirts don't really do that much for me. Like I know that women wear underwear, so it's not like right. I know it's a it's a much bigger thing in Japanese culture and Japanese erotica, especially yeah. like the panty shot is like famous in anime. And Shion Sono has a mo- a four hour epic, which is actually even longer in other cuts mm-hmm. called Love Exposure, mm-hmm. that has a plot about upskirt photography. Well, there you go. Yeah, but it's so it's a much bigger thing in Japanese culture in terms of their kind of erotica regardless it is a sexualization thing and there is a purpose for it even though and also i i would argue just that the characters are so strong and so likable yeah this whole bit is setting up uh mitsuko's circle of friends as just like the most pure yeah. and adorable they they meet their new friend sure in the class when she's introducing all these these characters and sure Raises up her middle finger. Loves them birds. And Aki raises up the middle finger back, and sure just has this cutest little like sort of little smirk about it. Like, oh, that's our love language is telling each other to go fuck off. Sir is sort of like the goth of the group, the punk of the group. Yes. Um, 
the epi- they, they call her sure because she's so sh- surreal. At the lake, Aki tells Mitsuko that there's nobody more important than her. Yes. Aki recounts Mitsuko's dream, mm-hmm. and Sir says that it's possible that Mitsuko was in an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. There's an infinite amount of them. Sir throws a rock and says in one universe she didn't throw the rock. But the ripples that the rock creates in the lake can expand to affect everybody. Yes. Very basic uh, multiverse shit. But still yes. fun. Suddenly, a giant crocagator pops out of the water and <laughs> chomps the fuck down on Tycho. I'm I do not have confirmation of this, but I believe in my heart that I heard this correctly. As the crocagator comes out of the water and is chomping on the girl, I do believe I heard the Pac-Man sound effect. I cannot confirm or deny either way this is fucking insane. Fucking and insane. Great. Yes. And it turns out to just be a fantasy sequence. Yes. Uh but there is something, there's an element, because that, that first scene was such a rug pull. Yeah. And then you get to this bit where they're all they're all being so sweet to each other, and they're all being so cute. But they're also off by themselves, skipping yeah. class. They're off by the side of a lake where we know that other people have been recently, but we don't know where those people are. You know, you know that this movie is going to pull the rug out from under you again mm-hmm. at some point. You just don't know when or where. So when the crocagator comes out, it's like, oh, there it is. Yeah, no, this all makes sense. And the filmmakers are like, no, 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 no. That's just no, you're ex- still safe. That's just an example of what might happen what in an alternate reality. An alternate reality. The girls toss around a pillow that's there for some reason. Well, they say, "Oh, the two people must have been sleeping here earlier." And mm. then they pick up the pillows and they start tossing them. Feathers once again filling the air. Mm-hmm. Sir pontificates about destiny, picking up a feather, dropping it, saying that the time it takes for the feather to fall and the place it does fall is already decided. But you can trick fate. By doing something unexpected that you would never do. She says that there are two ideas about reality. That that, uh, that things are entirely random or that they are all predestined. Mm-hmm. And the only way to be sure that the predestination thing is not correct is to, again, do something so completely random, so completely out of character for yourself what's, that it tricks, it tricks fate. What's something random that's completely out of character for you that you would do to trick fate? Something that I would do to trick fate for myself i the problem is all the only ways that you that that are usually within our power to trick fate are things that would have negative consequences for us yeah to do them like for instance sure's way of trying to break with fate is to jump into the lake now if she were to do that she would be tricking fate. She wouldn't be doing what was expected of her. Yeah. But she would be getting cold. She'd be getting wet, and she would be she would be getting in trouble with her parents, with the teachers. Uh, I think a way that I would trick fate uh, is probably uh, like I, the first thing that came into my mind when you asked me that question is I would break these windows. Behind okay. Us. But then that would let the cold into my house. My cats would escape. And would get lost. True. Uh, my wife would be extremely mad at me. Yeah. Uh, so I think a safer way for me to break with fate and, and trick the universe would just be to do what they did. They cut class. I would uh, skip out of school and, okay. and run away to Canada. Fun. Yeah. I would love myself. <laughs> That's something unexpected that I would never do. Oh. <laughs> the girls run back to school. Oh, sir, before they go back to school, sure says... 
Stay strong. Life is surreal. Don't let it consume you. Yeah. The girls run back to school. In class with one of the teachers we saw before, mm-hmm. Mitsuko sees a pillow on the floor. She picks it up and throws it to Aki. When suddenly, rapid gunfire begins ripping apart students. We see the teacher with a fucking minigun. Holy fucking shit. Mitsuko is grabbed by Taiko and Sir and they run. This is so sudden and so fucking out of nowhere. And again, the movie has fucked with you up until... I I knew that this was happening. Yes. Because the minute that she looks down and sees the pillow on the ground, it's almost the same shot composition as when she looked down and saw her pen on the ground. Yeah. And then she leans down and picks it up. The movie is has been playing with you. It's giving you visual time. themes. It's giving you the crocodile come up and is like, no, it's not that yet. You, she almost falls into the water. No, it's not that yet. Uh, we get to this bit. She picks up the thing and you're like, oh my god, it's the exact same thing is happening. No, it's not that yet. She throws it to Aki. You still expect the wind to come, and then suddenly it's a machine gun instead. It's, yeah. And it's from this teacher who has been portrayed in, as exactly as glowing, nostalgic. Uh, saccharine, sweet. I mean, we don't get a lot of everybody else. We don't get a lot of time with her, but she seems nice enough. She seems great, but now and and, and even then, it is to, and we get payoff of what Shore said earlier is that you can, you can cause a glitch in the matrix essentially by yeah. deciding to do something strange and unusual. They cut class, and now and this has t- caused their teacher. To spiral into a psychotic rage because she does shout, "Why did you cut class?" and to manifest Mitsuko. a fucking minigun out of nowhere and kill everyone. And this is these are some brutal kills. Like this is yes, this is all again. This is where the CGI doesn't really serve super well. It's all CGI blood, but it's still I had no problem. Fucking brutal as shit. They encounter another student who is shot by the other teacher we saw at the beginning. The shots propel her body through a window. We get a shot from outside the window, and we see her body fucking thump on the ground. Yes. No reason for that. No reason. It would be so much easier and cheaper to have her go through the window, and we just hear the sound effect. Yeah. But Sean Sono was just like, not brutal enough. (laughs) Make it more gnarly. He shouts at his script that he wrote. (laughs) He's got... He's got that Paul Verhoeven sort of like instinct for what is a truly beautiful, brutal moment of gore. Yeah. Uh, and this is something that you could never make in America. No, like fuck this no. is never, no, never going to happen here. Yeah, I mean, not in a film. In real life, teachers have miniguns all the time. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Every teacher is Vulcan Raven from Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> Oh, there's, including there's, our friend Spring. Okay, <laughs> there's there's a lot. Yeah, another uh, guns in schools never happens here. Another girl might be Tycho, runs out in front of the teacher and gets her fucking hand blown off by yes. an assault rifle. The teacher is dual wielding like an M an M sixteen in one hand, there, combat shotgun in the other. There are two teachers we've been introduced to. One has a mini gun. The other one has the two is the dual wielding yeah. machine guns. She blows away her hand and then takes a good chunk out of her head with a shoddy. Yes. Sir and Mitsuko run out of the room, only for Sir to get shot after telling Mitsuko that life is, once again, surreal. Mm-hmm. So life is surreal. You have to be that. Don't let it consume you. And now, just the chaos just fucking expanding and increasing. Mitsuko runs along with a herd of other students. Yes. The school address system is playing what I think is anchors away. 
Anchors away, my boys. Yeah, I think you're right. Anchors away. But in Japanese. Well, no, it's an instrumental. Oh, sorry, I misremembered. There are teachers out of every window. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, we only see like three windows, four windows. We Mm -hmm. don't see it, but it gives us this idea of scale and scope. Yes, they're, they're making their budget go farther than it should. The teachers are firing out. At the fleeing students, one of them has a fucking grenade launcher that's yes. just causing... It's it's such pure, beautiful chaos and carnage, the likes of which I've rarely seen. At this point, the wind returns. Yes. Well, yeah. Uh, one of the fleeing students asks Mitsuko to think about why this is happening. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the four girls she was running with are sliced apart by the killer wind from earlier. Mm-hmm. Mitsuko flees. And I love this wind. I think it's a great monster. Yes. Yeah, I would call um, it a monster. Yeah. But it seems like you can defeat it just by crouching on the ground. <laughs> I don't know why Mitsuko doesn't just like you have to army crou- crawl. Well, you have to crouch on the ground at the right time. Oh, okay. If, it's if, like it's like a roadrunner thing. You gotta... Anytime, anytime that she crouches down and the wind misses her, it's always in a moment when the wind wasn't expecting it to be that way. Like, it couldn't see her crouching down when she was in the bus. Yeah. And she always, like, just gets out of the way just at the right moment. How much better would life be... Yeah. ...if the wind had eyes? Uh, like, there were just strings of eyes blowing out through the... Negative, negative 100%. You wouldn't like that? I would hate and that. And sometimes it would, like, hit you in the face. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, go I'm, in I'm, your I'm mouth. thinking about it, yeah. It's a bad time. Sounds like a bad time to me. Birds just, like, eating them all the time. Just, like... <laughs> well, the birds Spiders like catching a ride on a... <laughs> The birds would like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't. I would be very upset by that. Well, no, all of that. I have bad news mm-hmm. with climate change. It's more and more <laughs> likely every day. <laughs> it's more and more likely we're going to get eyeballs in the wind. Yeah. That was the first draft of Dust eyeballs in the Wind. Eyeballs in the wind. Eyeballs in the wind. All we are is eyeballs in the wind. All right, Mitsuko runs through town, mm-hmm. which first seems deserted, then seems... Here's where I first noticed that, like, oh, we're only seeing women. Yes. It's only women on the street. She runs into a police depot mm-hmm. where the policewoman recognize her, recognizes her not as Mitsuko, but as Keiko. Keiko. And, yeah, this is another situation where normally in, uh, like, a Western film, and even in a lot of Japanese bang, films... Bang, bang, cowboys. Uh, you, would go, <laughs> you would go up to... A cop, an authority figure, and it would be a masculine part. Yeah. But even this cop that they meet on the corner is uh, a lady cop. Yeah. Every character in this movie is a woman. The policewoman asks why she's in a school uniform mm-hmm. and turns a mirror to Mitsuko. Mm-hmm. When Mitsuko looks, she finds her appearance has changed and she is now played by a different actress. Yes. The policewoman tells... This is one of the most Lynchian aspects of the film. Okay. The, uh, the aspect of shifting identity and... and, and and multiple people being different people, being the same person or different people. That's what yeah, Lynch doesn't have a monopoly on that, though. No, but it is something that comes up in his work a lot. True. The police like, woman, once we cross over, everything could be different. Very true. Mm-hmm. The policewoman tells her that the reception is starting soon and shoves her into a car. I love this sequence. As mm-hmm. they drive down the street, dozens of women pound on the windows and laugh. At their destination, she finds Aki... Yay! I literally wrote down Aki with like a hundred <laughs> exclamation points behind it. I'm looking at your phone. There's not a hundred there. Why would you lie to our viewers? Look, look, 
look, it's I'd more say there's less than ten. It's more entertaining if oh, there is more. <laughs> I never lie on this show. <laughs> I lie all the time. Yeah, your name's not really Billy. No, it isn't. It's Fart Knocker. <laughs> which I see why you secret. Which I see why you. It's Fart Knocker Jones. <laughs> Fart Knocker Jones. And I see why you use a stage name. <laughs> it's, yes, Fart Knocker Jones. And it's then a once family I started, name. Once you I come st- from a long line of Fart Knockers. <laughs> once I. <laughs> Once I started lying about that, the rest became easy. You when, lie about your age. You're actually 58. I am actually 58, yes. You lie about your job. Mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. actually an undercover agent for the cops. Yes, absolutely. And I just blew your cover. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not the police, but the, the, the band, the cops. Is that a band? I think so. Are you sure you're not thinking of the police? Maybe. Stings band? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> You tried. That'll probably get cut out. That wasn't a very funny run. That's And we're right. going a bit long. That's okay. Um, their destiny, uh, she finds Aki, mm-hmm. and she learns that she's getting married. Keiko has a breakdown. Aki still calls her Mitsuko mm-hmm. and tells her to do as she says. Yes. Aki says she's both Mitsuko and Keiko. Yes. Keiko gets into her wedding dress, and he, it was... <laughs> It was a little soft for a little while. We got, we got, uh, people talked for about three minutes. For about three minutes. So that was enough. So now we got to get some carnage. Aki yes. begins brutally attacking the other members of the wedding party. There's a fucking absolutely gnarly arm break. Mm hmm. Aki, uh, it, we are now learned that the actress who plays Aki is not only an incredible actress, she is also an incredible action star. Yeah. Because she handles the physical stuff in this scene. Immaculately, yeah. <laughs> uh, she crushes a fucking head. She's mm-hmm. snapping necks left and right, oh like she God. was born to do it. <laughs> like she was born to it. Oh man! And she's even, she's she's like walking Keiko through how to do it, where she's like, "Put your arm here. Put your arm here. Yeah. All right, are you ready? Are you ready?" And then they just fully flip a whole woman over her head and crashes through a table. It's amazing. Yeah. Keiko or uh, Aki gives Keiko a broken bottle to fight with. Mm-hmm. She heads into the chapel. She holds the bottle like a bouquet. A little detail I loved. Yes. Uh, Sean, Sean Sono is not like he doesn't make necessarily beautiful looking movies. Mm-hmm. There, he has some great imagery, but he has a very good eye. Like he knows how to set up things. Unquestionably. Oh, at the altar is a coffin. Mm-hmm. And again, everyone in the chapel is a woman. On both sides. And again, I love this this change. At first, the crowd is very congratulatory there. Then they begin to turn on her. As she's walking down the aisle, the crowd starts to turn on her. As the organist, there's an organist at the, at the front of the chapel who is very sort of gothily dressed. She's dressed like death from Sandman. Yes, exactly like that. And she's playing the organ in a very sort of traditional sort of da dum surprise. And as she walks, it becomes and, and more she walks, discordant. It becomes more discordant and wild and frenetic. And the women in the audience they start, start to, insulting her. Then they start laughing at her. Start laughing at her. They start stripping and rending they rip their, their own their clothing. Own, they rip their own clothes off. Mm-hmm. Then they rip her clothes. They start ripping her clothes. And I, I wrote down, it, it, it reminded me a lot of... Uh, Your wedding. <laughs> Right, yeah, of course. No, it, it reminded me a lot of uh, Carnival of Souls. Which I've never seen. Right, but there is a sequence in, in in that movie, it is about a woman who is being constantly pursued by a crowd 
of people, oh. uh, like these people who seem to be uh, corpses, following her everywhere she goes. Oh, I've seen that movie under the name Corpse Crowd. Right, yeah, Corpse Crowd, exactly. And there's a sequence where she's in a, uh, she, she's a church organist, and she's come to this church that she's now being uh, hired by, and she starts playing the organ, and as she's playing this very sort of uh, worshipful tune, mm-hmm. it changes. She can't stop playing and it turns into this very discordant very sort of like atonal piece that a that a priest uh rips her away from the organ and says that she's being that she's channeling the devil oh and uh this this whole sequence reminded me of that movie so uh starkly it was very interesting once she gets the col- the altar the coffin opens and mm-hmm. inside is a they man. say that this is the groom. Yes, this is the groom. Inside is a tuxedoed man with the horrifying, ugly head of a pig that is also yes. a bit bloody. Her groom is a pig monster. Not exactly very subtle that she finds out her husband is a pig. Yeah. But I don't care. I love this. I love it, too. <laughs> and again, this isn't... I, I'm about to say it's not the best pig mask I've ever seen, but I love it, so it, maybe it is. the best pig mask you've ever seen? Oh, man. Uh, that Twilight Zone episode? The Twilight Zone with episode? The, with the, oh, uh, the masks. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that is a pretty great pig mask. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll the crowd that. chants for Keiko to kiss it. Kiss, kiss it. it. Kiss it. Yeah. Instead, she slits his throat. Yes. Uh, there's a nice blood spurt. Between this, the fact that uh, Aki keeps following her into her new lives and protecting her and telling her that she's the most important thing to her and being essentially railroaded down this weird self-hatred spiral of an aisle to the pig that she's now being told to kiss, there could be an argument to say that this this movie is uh, about... uh, coming out as a lesbian. Yeah, no, yeah. I, th- I think there might be something there. Yeah. Uh, especially given Japan's odd relationship with homosexuality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know nothing about uh, homosexual issues in Japan. I just know that Sailor Moon has a lot of commentary about it. From what I've experienced, it seems to be sort of fetishized, and, mm. like, this is a great thing in media, but in real life, not as much, maybe. In real life, find yourself a good husband. But I'm... I'm not 100% sure. Right, yeah. Keiko turns on the crowd. Now it's her time turn to kick a little ass. Oh, yes. Aki comes in. Fucking Queen Aki. Queen Aki. Uh, I wish she came in on like a motorcycle. Oh, man. That'd be great. And they, speaking of le- fetish leather, uh, the they, teachers show up. <laughs> oh, was this the teachers again? Yeah, the teachers I show up not, again. But this time, they're, they're dressed, dressed for the fucking Matrix. They're dressed as the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> as the Matrix itself. And we get a nice fight here. Yes. Like, this is... It's not like the raid levels. It's not no. like, but it's but it's, it's a nice fight for again a movie it's that pretty great. It's it's yeah. Like we talked a little bit about in Machine Girl how that movie was crazy and violent, but the martial arts is a bit slow. You don't have that problem here. No, like the, it's, the martial arts in this movie is pretty fucking great. It's also the editing. The editing helps a that lot. That does help. That does help. But yeah, I, it's the, just... The note I wrote is, who says surrealist art movies can't have awesome fight scenes? That's... I think that's... I want to bring this up in the first portion of the show, but I think that's why you love it, because yeah. it... This movie perfectly marries our mutual love of carnage and violence with our love of weird shit, uh, good filmmaking, mm-hmm. and actual artistry. 
Right. You know, the, the film is an actual piece of art. Yeah. It's not just a dumb, like, crazy exploitation piece like Machine yeah. Girl was. But it's like, it is still fun. Yeah. And I, I, I wrote down, I don't think of this movie as a movie. To me, this movie is a piece of music. Sure. Uh, and I tried to find something in, in uh, of Shion Sono talking about something like this. And he does occasionally refer to his his movies as pieces of music. But it's always in terms of a different kind of analogy where he mm. talks about like... I, he says at one point, I feel like I should make 13 movies in a year... Because there are usually about 13 songs on an album, and I feel like that's a good number of things. It's like, maybe a couple of them will be bad, but at least I'll have 13 movies yeah. out. Uh, but uh, The Takashi Miike approach. Sure. sure. Uh, but looking at this movie, the way it moves, it feels kind of like the 1812 Overture for me. Sure. Where there'll be long periods of... Uh, and then suddenly, just like, bum, bum, you get like the, the, the real kick-ass sections that everyone remembers with the cannons coming yeah. in. But again, like... The... It just, but it just kind of flows and it goes, and it never feels like anything that's happening is out of place, is not of the no. world of the movie. It doesn't feel like you have ever changed to watching a different movie, despite the fact that the film itself is it's so changing. different. Like from you're changing second actresses, to second. you're changing. Uh... But those change, but those changes feel somehow so organic, and I feel like that's a very musical. Movement. Yeah, no, it, it's expertly done. And I think it was a brilliant move, not just because it's a great opening image, mm -hmm. but to shock you and surprise you so much right from the get-go. Absolutely. That, like, that puts you in a mindset where it's like, oh, there are no fucking rules. Yeah, it really is a tone-setting moment. The other thing I, ba I, I compared it to was David Bowie's Black Star. Okay. Where the song goes on for, like, 11 minutes, yeah. and every... And it for a long period of time, it will be one kind of song, and then it will completely changed to a yeah. completely different song and then back again and you're just kind of if you're there for it you are there for that ride and that's exactly what this movie felt like for me here's a fun fact and i might have told you this already okay on the karaoke app carafun okay uh, they offer black star by david bowie so you could wow. go to a you could go to karaoke and sing a nine minute song <laughs> that <laughs> is just like Sort of art rocky, yeah, I guess we yeah. would call it. Wow, what a weird time for everyone in that karaoke bar. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that would be that's that's just I a don't weird think time. Anyone would enjoy that. <laughs> even even if you were an amazing singer and you could do it, even if you could do right. it like, just like Bowie, like just like Bowie, no one's there for that. No <laughs> one's there for you taking up. Nine fucking minutes. Just taking up so much space. You could have done three songs in that time. <laughs> One last thing before we get back to the like talking about the story of this movie. This movie is available on Tubi. We've talked a lot about how much we love Tubi. The one thing that's kind of sucks about Tubi is just that there are commercials. Yeah. It's a free service. They have to make money somehow. Here's the thing. They come on 20 minute, every 20 minutes, which is yes. not that bad. It's I think not that some bad. Some services do every 10 minutes. Yes, some and services do that. They do the breaks very well. They do. Like, they make sure a scene is ending. It doesn't interrupt. And, it, and they always put up, like, a little counter. A little like, a hey, warning. commercial's coming. The one kind of, like, detrimental thing about Tubi is that there are commercials. So there's a commercial break in this... When I was watching on Tubi, right after this wedding venue fight scene yeah 
the commercial they just happened to immediately cut to was a commercial about a bride. <laughs> where, like, just about to go into the wedding and coming right off of that scene with this bride, like, about to go in and see ever, all of her family and everything. I was like, oh, this isn't going to go well for you. <laughs> it was just, uh, I wrote down... Uh, after this scene, Tubi literally cut to a commercial that took place at the wedding. Funniest, dumbest shit in the world. But they win the fight against the Matrix teachers. Yes. They flee mm-hmm. back through town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aki stays behind to hold off the pursuers. Right. And this is, the, by the this time, it was like, fuck yeah, Queen Aki, Team Aki. And I will point out something interesting about Aki. Aki's not in the opening. No. Aki only shows up the first time that our protagonist sort of shifts worlds, shifting yes. from the one school she was in to this new one where some of her friends are still alive, but she also has new friends. Aki's there. Aki is also in the second world that she goes to. Uh, wedding world. The wedding world, yes. That's my and favorite Mario level, wedding world. Wedding world, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Aki, well, that's kind of, uh, we'll get into it. But uh, Aki, and Aki knows what's going on. So maybe Aki knew what was going on from the beginning and was and was saying to her when she said to her, just remember, I care about you more than anyone. Yeah. She was saying, I'm here to watch over you no matter where you go next. Gotcha. There's there I think that there might be something there. But anyway. Keiko runs and runs until she meets someone dressed for a marathon mm-hmm. who calls her Izumi. Yes. Keiko passes by a mirror that is conveniently being held by the guys in movies who conveniently hold mirrors. Like, sometimes a car has to drive through them. Sometimes someone has to see the reflection. You know those guys. And suddenly she's portrayed once again by a different actress. And she is now dressed to go running. Yeah. Izumi. The uh, three women join her, and they run together. They come to a street lined with cheering women, Mm -hmm. and the race begins in earnest. Yes. The women tell her that they've been on the same track team. They've been friends since forever. Mm-hmm. Izumi pulls ahead. This is her big race. Her big race. And I just wanted to point out that, like, as a person with ADHD who is constantly struggling with, like, trying to remember things, yeah. this situation is both, like, an eerily a, uh, prescient nightmare for me yeah. and also, like, a weirdly comforting moment. Because on the one hand... This sort of element of just kind of like going along and suddenly people are telling you things and talking to you about things that you do not remember. Yeah. And uh, you don't even remember the person who's talking to you, but they seem to really know you is something that I have experienced and is always very uh, kind of a struggle for me. But at the same time, it would be kind of awesome to have for me to have a group of friends who just followed me around and filled me in on my own backstory at any given moment, that would be very helpful for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, that would help me as well. Like I have had uh, a number of jobs and those jobs tend to have high turnovers. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with a lot of people and people will just come up to me like, Hey man, how you doing? I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. Like, okay, (laughs) great. I'm great. How are you, man? Like, you take care. Right. So the moment that uh, we worked together was the most important moment in your life. For me, <laughs> it was Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Izumi pulls ahead. She sees Sir and Taiko also running with her. Aki comes up from behind. Aki and Sir are back at it again. But also, the Matrix ladies are back. And so is Pig Groom. Pig Groom. This is the best scene for Pig this Groom. This is, oh my God, this is Pig Groom's moment to shine. Like, this is where he's like, if I'm ever going to get a spin off movie. 
Oh my god, yes. No, this is this is this scene is the argument for the pig monster cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, not the tag cinematic universe. No. Pig groom cinematic pig universe. Pig groom cinematic universe. They know where the money's at. So so the Matrix ladies are running up, they're gaining on Izumi, and they're like giving some kicks out to the other runners. Yes. But Pig Groom is fucking bringing up behind and he's, he starts doing a bunch of flips he's and, doing these big like gene kelly jump kicks to all the people yeah. around him just like and they're all flying away like looney tunes characters it's great and then he hits the gymnastics routine oh my god yeah he's doing flipping the, around doing flips and shit and kudos to this stunt actor no oh, whoever yeah. it is yeah had to put on this I'm sure not light pig mask. Probably not. It's a full head. It's not a mask. It is a full head. Yes. It, it's not like a just a face mask. It's a full head thing. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's not horribly heavy, but it's... It's and you heavy You can't enough. fucking see, probably. Yeah. But they're hitting this routine. And there's probably some sort of uncomfortable like fastener in there oh, to keep absolutely. it on his head, on his head while also, he's doing flips. Also, in a tuxedo. Also in a tuxedo. Not uh, traditionally the most athletic of, of, of clothing. And I also wrote down here, um, there's something about surrealism and and uh, sort of the dreamlike quality of the works of, again, David Lynch and Harold Pinter and this, that really appeals to me on like a, a, a sort of deep psychological level that Absolutely. I haven't quite come to grips with, where I just sort of like, and maybe it is the ADHD quality where I'm just sort of like always living in whatever moment I'm currently at yeah. and never quite being able to remember what happened before or prepare for what happened after. And that's kind of the place that this kind of media exists in. Yeah. That I just kind of like, I vibe with that world yeah. a lot. And I just really enjoy shit like this and the way that this kind of moves. No, it's it's a masterpiece of a movie. Like, it's so mm-hmm. much... Like, in it, like, if you were... I'm sure Martin Scorsese would not call it a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. Well, whatever. But... <laughs> But, like, for something to have... Scorsese calls Frankenstein created woman a masterpiece. He can call this a masterpiece, too. (laughs) (laughs) But this, again, it's artistic. Mm -hmm. It's so fucking fun. Yeah. It's a great time watching this movie, and you're also watching a damn fine film. Yeah. But even if you don't buy into the artistry the way that I do and and, and you do, like, as you were saying to me earlier... The creativity, if nothing else. The sheer uniqueness. And even if you don't get into that, there's still the fucking violence. Yeah. (laughs) Which is fucking great violence. It is. There are plenty of people who do not understand RoboCop as the deep satire of capitalism and the entertainment industry that it actually is and think of it as just a dumb action movie and while I do think that those people need to uh, read a couple more treatises on RoboCop at the same time like you're right the action in RoboCop is fucking great yeah yeah uh so Pig Room and Matrix Ladies are picking off other runners. Let's get back to your dilemma. Oh, fuck yes. Where uh, your father has been decapitated. Oh, very Classic sad. Greek situation. <laughs> and the car has uh, run over the last polar bear in existence. <laughs> but it, it's... Good and riddance. You, and you have climbed over your hundred siblings <laughs> in this stretch limousine minivan. <laughs> and you're... What are you doing? Are you taking the wheel? Like uh, Jesus? Yeah, just like uh, Jesus, I'm going to like... Yeah, I'm going to swing myself into the front seat. I'm going to take that wheel. Well, and your I'm father's gonna, body is still on the front seat. Yeah, I'm going to sit on his lap. I'm going to okay, take the wheel. just like old times. Just like old times. I'm going to uh, adjust the seat back, 
pull the seat back so I have enough room to get my feet on those pedals. Yeah. And I'm just going to drive sitting on my dad's decapitated uh, body. Okay, are you just driving straight forward? Are you circling back to pick off the bears? Where are the bears in relation They're to right gaining now? on you. They're, They're gaining on you. They're going faster every second. Gotcha. I think, well, I'm going to take control of the vehicle, make sure that we're not skidding and... and, and are you going to comfort your mother in her time of trauma? Are you going to say, Mama? We don't have time for that. Okay. So I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to like get control of the vehicle and I'm going to... Put that pedal to the metal and get away from those biker bears. You can't beat them. You can't They're, beat they, them. They come right up beside you again. And remember, you, there was a big swipe, so your side of the driver's side of the car mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. a big hole in it. Gotcha. So you're staring right into the eyes of that cinnamon bear. Right, 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 right. Okay, so I guess... Oh, and these bears? Racists. <laughs> They're neo-Nazis. I thought because they were such a multicultural union of bear types that they, they believe in be bear racist. supremacy. Oh my god. Okay. Well, in that case, if they if they're so fast, they've got up to me at that point, I'm going to take my foot off the gas. I'm going to ram the brake and stop so that they go uh farther than me. Uh, and 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 I can like uh maybe turn the car around and head the other way while they're still trying to figure out what's going okay. on. Okay. A bunch of them zoom past you. The one that was following behind you Mm -hmm. uh, slams into the back of the stretch limousine minivan. Right. Uh, Because it's so, it's a bear Mm -hmm. and they don't, aren't like aerodynamic. Yeah. Unlike geese. Unlike geese. It goes like a couple feet and then just smashes down the back of the car. Okay. Probably killing some of your siblings. Oh, shit. Okay. Probably Arturo. Arturo. um, (laughs) No, not Arturo. Jessalyn. Jessalyn, no. Um, Smudgely. Smudgely, yes. Smudgely, my favorite Smudgely. Um, Doris. Doris. <laughs> this is so sad for me. Santiago. To... Santiago, no. All right. Knives McGinty. <laughs> wow, this bear fell, flew farther forward than I thought. <laughs> it's it's one of those it's one of those bear dachshund mixes. <laughs> So it's it's very, a stretch bear. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a. The stretch bear fell on the on the stretch yeah, minivan it's, limo. It's what Alanis Morissette would call ironic. <laughs> so let's pause there. As I'm making the hundred point turn, I need to make in the yeah. stretch minivan to turn around and drive away from the bears. Yes. Uh, Zumi goes off course, jumping over a fence. Mm-hmm. And in a detail I love, even though she is off the course, there are still spectators. They are still on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. They are cheering mm-hmm. for her. Yes. Izumi runs into a cave-like building. She is pulled further inside the cave by a schoolgirl. Yes. We see dozens of other schoolgirls mm-hmm. with their hair over their faces. Yes. Some are bloody. Her guide asks her to please die. Will you die, please? If she's alive... They all die. So we die because of you. Everyone dies because of her. Have you ever felt that way? Uh, no, I like have not ev- felt Like that everything way. you touch just is murdered by God. <laughs> your touch is so cancerous uh-huh. that uh-huh. just like anyone in your noxious presence right. yeah. is struck down for the good of the world. Uh, I'm starting to, listening to you talk about that. <laughs> I don't, I'm not trying to drop hints. I'm not trying to. No, generally in my I'm life. I'm still alive. I'm around you probably the second most of anybody. Sure, sure. Um, that's true. That's I have true. a high tolerance. <laughs> you have a high tolerance for yeah. death. Also, I, 
Whenever we're together, death. I wear this radiation suit. I have noticed that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was a fashion statement. But I mean, it works not. as both. It works. <laughs> you can see how becoming it is to my figure. Right, right. I have noticed more people around town wearing radiation suits. Yeah. So I think that it's starting to to, to take off. Yeah. I think it's starting to take off. Uh. The uh, I, all of the other girls in the cave have their hair down in front of their face. Mm, they're and they real sadikos, and they're all breathing this incredibly raspy breath. It is so unnerving, and such effective, such an effective horror scene. Oh yeah, uh, this movie blends genres so well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Again, it never feels like it's not itself. All of these genres feel entirely organic to the piece somehow. It's... It's we talk about movies that have these, like Day of the Beast. Yes, just exactly. These, just these hair point turns mm-hmm. where everything is done so masterfully. Exactly, you don't even see the string. That's exactly what this movie is. Absolutely, the guide girl pulls out a butterfly knife. She flicks it around to be mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. because th- I. You know what? Get to the point. If you, if you're like. <laughs> If you're going to be like, please die, don't like try to impress her with your butterfly knife right, school right. skills. Just like, yeah, just 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 kill her. And she begs Azumi to remember. And also, P.S. If you could, mm-hmm. if you got time in the day, mm-hmm. please die. Yes. But Aki comes through once more like a fucking avenging angel. Mm-hmm. Snaps another neck just because that's the only way she can get hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> She does it so much she has to enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy watching it happen. I love watching it. Yeah, yeah, That's the only way I can get hard. (laughs) All right. And once more they run. It's like a Doctor Who episode. So much running. So much running. So much hand-holding. Aki demands Izumi say, I'm Mitsuko. Mm -hmm. Until she does turn back into Mitsuko in her school uniform. She says, we're not going to talk about Izumi. In fact, we're not going to talk about Izumi at all. (laughs) (laughs) Aki reveals that her wrists have these Cronenbergian Jesus. cables, wires, red and blue, one coming out of each wrist. Cronenberg is probably a better thing to go with. I went with Barker, with Clive Barker. Okay. It felt like it, it felt gets like a, a little Barker. It gets a little Barker later. And she tells Mitsugo to pull them. Yes. We've all been in this situation. <laughs> this, mo- this is the most relatable part of the film. This is. Yeah. This is like... Every day. Every day. Every day, I'm outside your window. <laughs> I'm like, Billy! Billy, pull the wand! It's the only way you can open the door! And you're like, like I don't want to open doors. I don't like going outside. <laughs> go home, Brad. <laughs> Aki tells her the world they're in is fictional. Mm. And someone pulled them in. Yes. Only Mitsuko can stop it and get them out. Yes. But first, Mitsuko has to destroy Aki. Boo! <laughs> destroy yourself, bitch. <laughs> and that will make an exit when she that, rips out the cables. Once she rips out the cables from uh, Aki, will make an exit. So Mitsuko, being the good friend, mm-hmm. unlike you, <laughs> pulls the cables and they rip... Here's where it gets Barker. Mm-hmm. They rip up her arms... Mm-hmm. They rip up her chest. There's like cables extending into her ankles. Like yes, she is fucking pulled apart. Yeah, 
and you like see the, a massive like the wires ropes inside. In a, the ropes in a marionette just yeah. like tearing those out. There's a massive internal wiring, and between her two split halves in the distance, we she see splits, a glowing door. She splits right down the middle, yep. splits right in half, and we see a glowing door between the halves. That is a very Barker. That is probably the Barkeriest moment. Mm, and I, Bob yeah, Barker. By the way, we're talking about Bob Barker, right? And I wrote down the effect of Aki being torn apart feels like a Clive Barker kill. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's there is something that like uh, I should mention right here that doesn't really I don't believe it really applies to the the rest of this uh, movie. Yeah. So I'll just mention it right here. Uh, there was in in uh, the thing piece that I watched on YouTube that talked about uh, Sono's relationship with women in his work. Uh, they argued that this scene in particular was meant to be a criticism of the final girl trope in horror movies where this protagonist character is always the character left alive yeah. when the monster comes. There are all these other women who are left killed in their wake. And the argument in with the horror fans always have is that the final girl trope is somehow feminist because, there's look, there's a girl who's alive and she triumphs. Mm. Uh, there are movies where it's more and there are movies where it's less. But uh, the sort of argument here is that Yes, she survives, she triumphs, she thri She doesn't thrive, but she survives and she triumphs. But so many other women have to die and she has to step on all of them in order yeah. to get to the end. And, uh, like, again, like, Laurie Strode does survive, but she survives by being like Mitsuko in the beginning. She's the good girl. She's the poet. She's yeah. the nerd. All these other girls who actually have fun and have lives and have sex... They all die because how dare they? And there is a conversation earlier between Tycho, Sir, Aki, and Mitsuko where they're talking about virginity. And like I think it's Aki who says we're not sluts like you or something like that. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, which she says in good fun. like they're, Yeah, no, they're, it's, it's all joshing around. The relationship between those characters is, is fine. But at the same time, that is a conversation that might have happened in Halloween uh, sure. Bloody New Year, My Bloody Valentine, any of the bloody any of the movies in the bloody yeah. franchise, uh, and and Sunday so, Bloody Sunday. Yeah, so uh, it's just something interesting. I I thought there uh, not something that I came up with, but I thought it was very interesting. As uh, the YouTuber filmed in ether. Okay. Yeah. Who I had never heard from before. I watched this video, but I I think I'll be following their stuff because their stuff is very interesting. Do it. Yeah. So Mitsuko walks through the door. Mm -hmm. She finds herself in the kitchen of a restaurant, all populated by men. Yes, for the first time in this movie, men have entered the picture. In fact, there's even a title, I believe, that says, The Male World. She walks through the door into Male World. We mm -hmm. see a sign. Yeah. Uh, and whereas all of the women we've seen in this film are attractive, they're... Women in a movie. They're younger women. They're attractive women. They are. They are all skinny as twigs. Yes. Yep. The men, not so much. No. Uh, There's a much wider variety of body types and stuff. And you might be thinking, how is this different from any movie ever made? And that's a good question to ask. <laughs> and um, the movie wants you to ask that question. So but yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Like uh, the restaurant workers all look like fucking real people. Like, yeah. And outside in the cyberpunk dystopia of male world, mm -hmm. it's a bunch of sleazy dudes and odd costume choices. Right. One uh, of them has like a gig gigantic sort of a pseudo mohawk. One dude is just in a leopard print bikini brief. That's right. Yep. Yep. 
Two of these sleazy dudes are mm-hmm. looking at a poster that features R3 heroines. Yeah. The poster says the legendary game tag is back, now in 3D. And the poster is almost identical to the actual theatrical poster of the movie. I'm sure that was intentional. Oh, 100%. 100%. What if it wasn't? What if, like, just a happy accident and Sean Stone was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> a not sleazy, a not so sleazy looking man approaches her. Mm-hmm. Mitsuko recognizes him but can't recall who he is. Right. She tells her that she's in the future and then she passes out. Yes. Reasonable response. Yeah. I think if someone, if you sure. suddenly, if you were to find yourself in male world mm-hmm. and someone told you that was the future. Right. I would. I think you would pass out. I think I would. I think I would. I would. I. I, I think whenever you wake up in the future, the two the, there are three rational responses: passing out, screaming, "I slept too long," or uh, talking to Nick Fury and then saying, "Oh man, I just I had a date." Yeah. You know, those are the three common responses to people who wake up in the future. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. What would you want to do in male world? Like, if you got an all-expenses-paid trip to Mail World. I think kind of the point of the film is that we'd already live in Mail World. <laughs> okay. Fair. What do you want to do today? Like, the world's your oyster. <laughs> I can tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to fight uh, biker bears who have decapitated my dad. Well, you got to get vengeance. you got to get... I know. Avenge me, as Harry <sighs> Dean Stanton would say in Red Dawn. <laughs> I still haven't seen Red Dawn. You don't need to. Okay. Mitsuko sees herself back in the sort of cave-like building from earlier. The first time, when, when the show's up, she kind of walks out of out of a black void. And, uh, yes. f- again, fully my brain went back to Twin Peaks The Return. <laughs> Just like old Agent Cooper walking out of that black void again. Then she's outside in a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. She walks in front of a building where several girls are standing in alcoves a few feet above the ground. Beautiful. But the the it's framed so that we do not see anything above the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful imagery. Next, Beautiful she imagery. is inside the building, and there are more women just lining the walls. Feels like a tomb. Mm-hmm. Feels like a, a a temple. Mm-hmm. There's there's like a white tree of Gondor in the background, and in one shot as as she's going into this building. I wrote down, I love this movie so much I want to eat it. Yeah. Uh, And there's also music in the background that sounds like Pink Floyd. I wrote down that fucking shot where she's standing in front of the white tree while something that sounds like Pink Floyd plays in the background. Everything. This movie is everything. I will not be taking (laughs) questions at this time. (laughs) This is just perfectly shot. It's absolutely beautiful. It's it's so stunning. Yeah. And uh, I just want to point out something that I think I wanted to say earlier but forgot. Okay. This movie does have soft moments, and we talk about it like there's long stretches of them. They're very small. Really, they are. they're very effective. hmm Yeah. Further in, Mitsuko comes across a bed, which has three mattresses, just like there are three heroines. Is that something? Maybe. Maybe. Could be. An old man with long white hair is sat in front of a very old television set and what seems to be a tank, almost like a terrarium, mm-hmm. given the greenery that it has a little bit inside, with various women in it, including our three heroines, and as we're going to learn, Aki. Yes. So, we talked about that I love this movie as much as I love Day of the Beast. I love this movie so yes. much. We also talked when we talked about Day of the Beast that there are a couple of things in Day of the Beast that we don't like. 
There yeah. are a couple things that bring the movie down a smidge. Yeah. Uh, this ending for me, there are bits about this ending that I still love that we'll get to. Um, but if I had to point at a part of the movie where I'm like, that's a weak point. This is yeah. the weak point for me. Everything building up to this moment when the old man is there. Beautiful. I love every everything about the White Tree of Gondor. I love everything about walking through the building with all the, the women and the alcoves and the walls as if they are property. Yeah. Fucking chef's kiss. Beautiful. Uh, and then we get to this scene and the guy it has the terrarium with the with the women. He's playing the TV with a big video game controller. Yeah, he has a big uh, arcade-style control pad on his lap. He's playing the game tag that was being advertised out there. And he's playing it as the three main characters yeah, that you see throughout the film. Yeah, he starts at the school massacre. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I think it goes to uh, Izumi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, and Keiko as well. And, and, but we see it's, yeah. a, it's a video game. Or no, then it's a wedding fight. It has a mini-map in the corner. There's uh, HP and stamina bars. Yes. She's been in a video game. Right. And I agree with you. This is not. There is no answer that would be satisfying. Right. This movie, especially in the last five minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. In terms of the arc of this film, the film reminds me a lot of a movie slash play that I have not seen or read, but I know about the goat. Uh, no, uh, one that I've already mentioned uh, previously in this podcast: Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yes. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. You can correct me because I know that you have seen this. I have seen it and read it. It has been since high school. Gotcha. But uh, does it does have moments where it is explained on some level that the world they're living in is a Shakespeare play, that they are at on some level aware of that. Yeah. But it's never like... Like a Marvel movie would, like explaining, like, this is what's been happening. This is exactly what's going on. There's no WandaVision ending where, like, uh, they they, they break in and they're like, oh, man, turns out there was, it was uh, this bad guy all along. It was, was, and and we got to defeat them. Uh, This ending feels, it doesn't go far enough that it ruins the movie for me. Yeah. Uh, Again, I still love this movie, but it goes just far enough. Yeah, she was in a video game. It, this is the future. All women are dead. Uh, that's that's what you assume? He says that. He says, oh, you he died. Say? They all died years ago. I thought we, he was meant all your friends died years ago, because this is 150 years after she was alive. He says all your friends died years ago, but this is the male world. There are no women in this world. We've seen that. So he said, he's, So I took it to mean that all women died. And they, but they kept samples of their DNA and they grow clones of them. Okay. And they have the clones of them in this terrarium and they, and they use them in this video game or narrative thing that allows them to live out fantasies. Yeah. And he's even, even as before you see that he's playing a video game, there's like click clacking noise that made me think he was writing. Yeah, on a typewriter. Type thought it was going to be a Stephen King Dark Tower thing. I thought that it was. I thought I literally thought thought this was going to be, and I think it is still meant to represent Shionsono himself, possibly uh, as as the as this creepy old pervert who's like making these women do all this crazy shit for his own amusement. Yeah, I think this is meant to be Shionsono taking a gigantic pot shot at himself, uh, being like, "Hey, isn't it fucked up that I get to do this for a living?" Or, well, let, let's. Flesh out the final mm-hmm. bits of the plot. Yeah. Uh, we'll save the climax, but 
in walks the not so sleazy man we saw before who was talking to Mitsuko before she passed out. The nicer looking guy. He is shirtless. He takes off his pants. He gets mm-hmm. into bed. And the old man says um, that 150 years ago he won to hella bang Mitsuko. Mm-hmm. And now she's going to fulfill that desire with the younger version of himself. Yes. And this is the final stage, I guess. Um, well, yeah, because he's he's the artist. He's the writer. And uh, just like Gene Roddenberry wrote Captain Kirk to be the the ideal of masculinity that he wanted to be himself. Yeah. And therefore, that's why, despite the fact that Spock was actually the sex symbol that all the women who watch the show liked, Captain Kirk sleeps with everybody because Captain Kirk is Gene Roddenberry's idea of who he himself is. Yeah. That's the same thing that this that this creative, this creator... Of a, of a TV show, as put in the Truman Show. Yeah. Uh, this guy is is creating a scenario where this young guy who's meant to stand in for himself as a younger, hotter version of himself is supposed to have sex with Mitsuko because he had an idea that he would have sex with women when he was a younger man. Yeah. And now he's living out these fantasies through his, air quotes, art. But it also <laughs> needs to be recognized... Uh, oh, by the way... Uh, Mitsuko died in 2034 and is now 150 years later. So she was from the future, even when she was not in the future. Right. And every time, all of these like little details that they give about like what it is, if you had like, if he had just been like, ah, you're here, you have to go fuck this guy. And she was like, why is like, because I had a dream about it years ago. I would have gotten everything they were trying to say with this scene gotcha. without them bothering me with all these little sci-fi details. But it needs to be recognized. don't need to be said. It needs to be recognized that, one, the absurdity, the idea that there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going it, on. It sound, it's very glib. It all goes by very fast, but mm-hmm. there's a lot going on here. So the idea, one, is that all the girls who have been killed, yes, the many, many girls who have been killed in this film, mm-hmm. one, do not want to die. Right. Even though they are NPCs in a video game. They are still people. That's a lot right there. Mm-hmm. Then you have the ideas of like controlling women mm-hmm. and controlling women to fulfill a sexual desire. To fulfill male fantasies, male all of the women's deaths, their pleasures, their pains, all of it. Has been for the literally for the fulfillment of the male gaze. Yeah. It is literally for the entertainment and fulfillment of a male audience. Yes, and presumably society at large plays this game. Yes, so it, you got to recognize that. My problem with this is not all the details. My problem is that it doesn't fully parse. Like thematically, it's all there. Like it, I, I get it. But like, how does how does her surviving all that and coming to male world mm-hmm. now she has to fuck? How does that? Why don't you just take them right out of the Lady Aquarium? Sure, and have sex with them, right? Like what? What? And also, what we're about to get to doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. I think that what saves the movie for me, ironically, is exactly what you're saying. The fact that there aren't enough... There's there's still too many details, in my opinion. Okay. But there aren't enough details to make this actually make sense. Okay. Making sense 
would be the death of this movie for me. Okay. The fact that this movie still doesn't make coherent logical sense keeps it just enough within the realm of, of surrealism and, and absurdism for me that the film ultimately works. At the end of Mulholland Drive, there are things you can take from the movie. There mm. is a concrete story there that you can deduce and that people have deduced over the years that we've talked about a lot. Yeah. But the movie never spells that out for you. No, it, it does never not. tells you what it is. For all the faults of a movie that we both love, Mother, that is another situation exactly like this for me where it's like, uh, man, this dreamlike nightmare reality, I just want to live here. Like, I just, yeah. not all the time, but like for the two hours it takes to watch this movie, this is where I want to be. And then you find out that the director had a very concrete vision and you're like, man, that kind of hurts my enjoyment of this film a little bit to know yeah. that like no you weren't trying to create this dream reality but I do think that Shion Sono was trying to make a very dreamlike atmosphere uh, I just think he added a little bit too much of an explanation right here but it's also just not enough of an explanation that I'm it doesn't ruin the film so Mitsuko lies down next to the younger version of the man she recalls Sir saying that the only something unexpected can change fate. And they, she is reminded of this because the old man tells her to surrender to her destiny. Yes. A drop of blood oozes out of Mitsuko's finger, mm -hmm. and a white feather lands on it and turns red. Mm -hmm. Mitsuko gets on top of the bed guy and screams at him to stop playing with them like toys. Mm -hmm. She rips open a pillow. Feathers everywhere once again. This is a feathery movie. Very feathery movie. It should be called The Birds. <laughs> Has there what? ever been a movie called The Burbs? I don't think so. What about The Burbs? The Burbs? Oh, man. Uh, uh, no. No, okay. never. Let's make both. Let's okay. make both, and they're the same movie, yeah. except in some markets we call it The Birds, and in some markets we call it The Burbs. Okay, they're both the same movie. Yeah. Okay, I think we should get Just with different... You know how Clue had different endings? Right, right, We're right. We're going right. to do like something like that. Right. But less fun. It's just, <laughs> but more confusing. But <laughs> more confusing. Okay. Awesome. Let's see if Tom Hanks is interested. Sure. Right. T. Hanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Next, she picks up the old man's cane mm -hmm. and drives it through her stomach. And the old man is not pleased about this. This is the other thing that I am not too pleased about the ending bit about. Not the fact that she kills herself. The fact that the old this movie is chock full of incredible performances from almost everyone involved. The old man is a glaring. Yeah, he's not the best. He's he's got this very theatrical acting style that is because he's not actually played by an old man. He's played by a young man in old man makeup. Yeah, and it's just kind of uh, very silly. And also his sort of sci-fi design to him doesn't help. It's also it's very cartoonish. Yeah. But, um, whatever. We flash back to the bus. Mitsuko once again drops her pen. We're mm -hmm. in the chapel. Keiko enters with the bottle and approaches the altar. Mm -hmm. On the bus, Mitsuko drives the pen into her stomach in the chapel. She drives the bottle into her stomach? Keiko does the same. Izumi has also killed herself somehow. Yeah, we don't see that Not one. Not clear. Yeah. We see Mitsuko lying in a snowfield, and she proclaims that it's over. She gets up and runs off. And I don't know how killing herself breaks the cycle, destroys the game, frees them. I think it I think it it 
it frees them in the same. It's it's a very similar, or it's very evocative of the ending of Hedda Gobbler. Okay, I've uh, never read or seen. Hedda Gobbler is not absurdist or surrealist. I want to point out something about Hedda Gobbler. Okay, uh, there was a a, a few. A, few years back okay i was talking with you and your wife kaylee yes uh, about like play recommendations mm-hmm. and you told me <laughs> head of gobbler was about a giant head that ate things <laughs> did i really and i fucking believed you oh no so it's like this sounds amazing this is like some inesco shit yeah bring it on <laughs> oh i'm sorry it's okay i mean <laughs> it didn't destroy my life but it <laughs> is the reason why i drink <laughs> I didn't realize that I had done that to you. That's hilarious. Okay. Uh, no. Hedda Gobbler is... Hedda Gobbler is about a woman named Hedda Gobbler. Uh, and, <laughs> she's a turkey. She's a turkey. She's now, a jive turkey. She's a jive turkey. Spoilers for Hedda Gobbler. She is a woman who has come to realize... What a patriarchy that she is living in. How absolutely controlled at every level of her life uh, she is by a masculine presence. And uh, she tries, much like uh, Mitsuko is taught to by Shura in this movie, to do things that are unexpected and um, against the nature of society in order to break free of this system gotcha. of control. Uh, the things that she does are, for instance... She finds a manuscript that's very important to a man in her life and burns it, his life's work, which causes him to kill himself. Uh, she thinks. It turns out later that he died by accident. and But she's like, he killed himself, how beautiful. Uh, but no, he just died by accident. And she's like, oh, that, that, that ruins it. Uh, and in the end, she believes that she can somehow escape, that she can live free, but in the very end of the story, she is drawn back into the web and she is essentially going to be forced to marry some guy who's just going to take control of her finances. She's going to lose any kind of independence that she had been able to gain through the story. Gotcha. And she goes and she's like, okay. And she goes into the other room and she kills herself. And I don't remember the final line word for word, but it's something like they come in and they're like, but that's... That, why why would she do that? That's just not something that people do. But she's dead. She has, in the end, she has managed to escape from the systems of oppression in the only way that she could by completely removing herself from them entirely. I think you might be on to something, especially given the marriage scenes, the idea that the ultimate goal through surviving life is you get to fuck someone who really wants to fuck you. For a woman, um, yeah. And just like being the video game aspect of the control, I, I think you're onto something. I think that's probably. I think that's where the movie was going, but that's also why I wanted. I it was very important to me to get put that trigger warning at the beginning about suicide, because both Head of Gobbler and this, the endings for me feel very. This one even more so because after she kills herself, we cut to a, a wide expanse of desert. Of sand, and she's lying on. Her oh, back. I thought it was snow. Oh, it might be. It's probably snow. You're probably right. But she's lying on her back in the snow. She and she says, "It's over now." She gets up and she wanders off, or she runs off, I should say, because running is is a source of joy for her character. Yeah, that's a thematic thing. And she runs off. Always running. the running. And she runs off uh, to run with her friends uh, and be gay 
in 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 the in the world beyond and the movie moves away from her footprints and is just a white void and that cuts the, and then it goes into the credits. goes into the credits so there's an even more sort of hopefulness about suicide at the end on the one hand is artistically amazing yeah. incredible but on the other hand could uh, if someone was already leaning that way could push them even further that way possibly uh, or you could interpret it like even like we're talking about literal suicides but we could mm-hmm. talk about like societal suicide like sure pursuing what you want as opposed to what society says you should do could sure. brand you an outcast like it could be a form of suicide yeah yeah absolutely but yeah so that's that's where i think the ending is and that's why again as much as the video game shit kind of like irks me it doesn't break the movie for me gotcha because the overall experience of the film and this final ending is so good and so yeah. uh exactly what exactly tag like tag yeah. is such its own thing that like oh my god I hashtag love. tag hashtag tag uh and once again art needs to confuse old people yeah <laughs> it's is, such a beautiful movie is there anything else you'd like to say Man, like even even if you were like uh, somebody who again does, just doesn't just listens to us to listen to us fuck around and doesn't watch the movies that we recommend, please goddamn watch this movie. Like holy shit, like this movie is so fucking good. It's so fun. It's it's well shot. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, if you've listened to this, it's not nothing is going to surprise you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's still worth seeing because mm-hmm. we can only describe it so well. Yeah. So next week, No Not That One Month continues mm-hmm. with The Street Fighter. <laughs>